Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Here's one minute of quiet jazz with the compliments of Schaefer Beer. Coming home for the holidays. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? I'm James McCarthy, ready with up-to-the-minute reports from all over the world. Now the news. Well, America... After almost a full week without taking a vacation, President Eisenhower took advantage of a break in the weather today and played golf, while the Congress decided on the alternative, work. Plowing into a heavy schedule, the Senate, as well as the House, dug in its heels into what promised to be the last long and continuous session before recessing for the political conventions. The key measure facing consideration in both houses before they take a five- or six-week convention break is the bill to give Ike authority to crack down on Fidel Castro by cutting sugar imports from Cuba. There's a side note to this story. Before the Senate session began, Democratic leader Lyndon Johnson warned his fellow legislators to be prepared for one of the busiest and longest days of the congressional year. How late? At least until the wee hours of the morning. More news in a moment. Reach for your partner. Swing to the right. When the music stops, give her a light. In today's L and M, fine tobaccos can be blended. Blended, blended, blended. Not to suit a filter, but to suit your taste. So through the miracle tip. Pure white inside, pure white outside. You get taste, more taste, more taste by far. Helen has found the secret that unlocks the flavor. Reach for flavor. Reach for LM. The British Lion seems to be taking the glamour away from Uncle Sam's eagle today as the British Foreign Office decides it's time for somebody to take a stand against the bearded bad boy of the Caribbean. Definite retaliation against the Cuban government for the confiscation of the Anglo-Dutch Shell oil refinery in Havana was the order of the day. But they'd better make their move quick, according to our latest reports, as heard now from Robert Perez in Havana. There are increasing rumors in Havana that the Cuban government may sign a military defense treaty with the Soviet Union. This rumor is not believed too unlikely by veteran observers who point out that such attacks may give revolutionary leaders the needed moral support in their campaign to break American prestige in the hemisphere. Further, it is reminded that these same leaders have been grooming the people for an invasion by the United States ever since coming to power 18 months ago. But the pact could be signed by any of several persons, including Raul Castro, presently touring behind the Iron Curtain. Or it could be signed by Fidel Castro himself when he visits Moscow in the near future. This is Robert Perez in Havana. And now back to James McCarthy in Washington. In other news, a vast air-sea search is underway for that American reconnaissance plane missing on a photographic flight near Soviet territory. 
Air Force officials in Germany have issued the rather roundabout statement that it's highly unlikely that the plane entered the Soviet Union. Then they quickly added, of course, anything can happen. The plane's last reported position was at a point between Norway's Spitsbergen Island and Russia's Kola Peninsula, which juts into the Arctic Ocean. All shipping in the area has been alerted to be on the lookout for six men, possibly floating in a dinghy. That's the news. James McCarthy reporting. Look high, look low. Only Pepsi. Here's one minute of quiet jazz with the compliments of Schaefer Beer. I wish you had one of those voices that's... Hello, hello, there we go. Jim, just set that back. Hello, hello. Just set it back there for a second. Just just where he's talking there. Now hold it there. Just, just the guy, yeah, just just the man. Hold it. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, stop it, hold it, hold it. Now just just put your hand on it. There you go. Now, listen, where do they breed these guys who have these voices that sound like their caro syrup being poured out of a bucket in mid-January? Rich and deep. Uh, can't, can't you just see some guy knocks at the door, you know, and he's, he's, and you open the door and you say, Why, Charlie, it's certainly good to see you. Schaefer keeps coming on. Get all the pleasure of the first beer, every beer through. You, wouldn't you have a little? I, I, don't you? Don't you feel a little, little, a little afraid of these human pipe organs? I, I think. Speaking of human pipe organs, how long has it been since you've heard Del Charbot? What 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 announcer do you know? Think of it. It's no wonder a whole generation of people grew up feeling vaguely inferior to the guys whose voices came out of the loudspeakers all over the nation. Westbrook Van Vores. Uh, Del Charbot. Who, who was the guy who used to go, Mmm, good. <laughs> Do you remember who did that? You offhand remember? Mmm, good. He used to just make a deep, rich, it was a vox humana, a vibrant human tone that somehow was tapped right down to the very to the very root core of the earth itself. Mm, good. Do you remember that? I'll see what kind of an American you are. You know there are millions of little American things. Don't worry about the crayons. That's, that's nothing to worry about. There are millions of little American things, which only an American knows. When I was in Holland, I found that the Dutch uh, had about. 500 little things that they would use to detect underground German agents had come in from Germany who were not Dutch, but who were pretending to be Dutch, who were living the life of Dutch. And they had all kinds of little things. They, they, uh, little, little references they would make, and suddenly a guy would, a guy would, would, would tick himself off. You, you could spot immediately what, what he was, and he would quietly disappear one night and be found in a ditch just because of that one slip. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an American proof. There are millions, if I were to try to detect an American, I wouldn't ask him things about history, because Americans don't know history. I would not say to him, uh, who is the general on the British side at Bunker Hill? Because 90% of them wouldn't know. 
If I were to say to you, who wrote the Leatherstocking Tales? Most people wouldn't know. But if I, if I was to come up to you and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see whether you're a real American, a real American, uh, what commercial was this from? Mmm, good. Huh? Which, what commercial was that from? I'd say, come on now, come on. Let me, let me hear, let me hear that. And, and uh, to the first, to the first solitary plotter along the yellow brick American road towards the Emerald City of Nirvana, who can identify what commercial that was from, we will give thee a garland of roses and the brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm for rising above the vast sea of mediocrity that surrounds all of us. Mmm, good. Who, who, what, what commercial was that from? We'll put you on your American medal. What? Oh, no. No, no. That's right. The one that you're hearing today is a, is a pale imitation of it. I mean, this was done... Yeah, that's right. Not a single soul out there. What kind of Americans are you? Mmm, good. <laughs> and it was given... I, I, I'm not sure whether it was given by Ernest Chappell, who was a tremendous announcer and still is, of course, or, or Del Sharbett. And these, uh, these commercials were delivered in such a way that tiny loudspeaker cones rattled for 15 minutes after the delivery all over the United States. I can see many a little old, a little old kitchen radio just... That speaker cone rattling when the guy would go... Good. <laughs> uh, did anyone... Did, 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 did the listener identify it? There you go. There's an American out there. Put her there, buddy. We'll have our own convention of real, of red-blooded, 100% Americans, as opposed to those watery-blooded Americans, you know, the kind, not red-blooded at all. Not sure what color their blood is, but I have ideas. <laughs> Good. I have a paper here, Chairman. Point of order, point... No, I'll put you on your metal. Speaking of metal... It's interesting that one person called in. I guess I'm the only one lost. In... Hey, another thing. Did anybody call in? Please get in touch with us. If if you waved a if you waved a towel or a handkerchief, and you saw anybody else waving it, I would like to hear an account of it. And and please get it in soon so we can put it on the air. Did anybody wave a towel? And I want I want the straight story here. Did anyone here wave a towel in solitary? solitary isolation out there on the beach and see way down, way down the beach somewhere, somebody else waving a towel. I would love to see this crowd get together and form a human pyramid just outside the beach house without saying a word to one another. 7,000 people tall. Life magazine would descend on it. Time magazine would give it cover space and not one of us would say a word. Five, six, eight thousand people tall. The greatest human edifice, the greatest monument to humanity ever created towel wavers silently gathering on the beach in front of beach house number three, one upon each other's shoulders until finally stretching, reaching, veritably touching the eternal clouds and skies of all dreams. <coughs> Good. Druids pray to the sun while the crowd necks. Speaking of that, speaking of necking, I don't know whether or not this term was ever used in the eastern area of good I, I must admit I'm a foreigner here I mean I'm really a foreigner I'm from out of this area let's face it I'm I'm not a real American I'm from the Middle West 
and uh, there was an expression. Uh, I'll never forget it. I, I, I'm, I'm coming into the kitchen one day, and my, my mother is standing there next to the sink in her orange rum-sprung chenille bathrobe with the dried egg on the lapel, and she's standing there, and she's working the old Brillo pad, and the sink is making that funny noise, and she's looking out over the eternal backyards, the alleys, and the garages of all eternity. And she's standing there, and I came in home from school, and it's just getting out the twilight, you know, that kind of soft purple, yellowish, greenish, kind of grayish, hazy twilight. And I have just come in, and I've worked up a fairly decent sweat, and I throw my fielder's mitt down under the, under the kitchen table, and I slide in and start pitching into my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm sitting there, and, and uh, my mother's looking out. She just stands there looking out. And I'm, I'm just sitting there eating, and it's one of those quiet moments when nobody has to say anything to anybody. You know, one of those living moments. One of those just being moments, those existing moments. And I'm chewing away at the peanut butter and the jelly. Incidentally, wouldn't you like to see a, a cookbook that had nothing but that kind of recipe in it? Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> hot dogs. Uh, things, the, the little trivial food that most of us really grew up on, that people really live on. Hey, did anybody see anybody else waving a towel? Not a single... Uh, it's quite obvious that there were no towel wavers out there. Come on, get up on your feet and wave that towel, man. Let them know that you're here. The point being, of course, is that we wish somehow... We want to, we want to make the rest of the crowd feel that they are somehow... That there is something that they do not understand. You know, the trouble with, the trouble with the baseball, rock and roll, TV crowd is that they honestly feel that they have their world, they have their world completely mapped out. Which they don't, of course. And if, if one man quietly stands up on his, on his beach towel, takes his, his drying towel and waves it in the air down the beach, and way down the beach somebody else gets up and waves his, and then all up and down the beach one or two guys get up one after the other and wave towels, there would be a profound unrest started. Or if somebody stuck his hand out the side of the car, waved a, waved a handkerchief and three cars wave, you mean there's somebody out there has, has saw a towel wave? Oh, for crying out loud. Let's get him out of the phone here. Oh. Yeah, hello. Yes. Shepherd here. Yes, Wolf. Stanford, Connecticut? You pulled off on the pay booth. You're, you're calling from the turnpike? Yes. The Merritt Parkway. Fifty-five cents worth. Yes, sir. What happened? Yeah. A Connecticut State Trooper stopped you because you were waving your, your, your handkerchief out the window? What? <laughs> he said, this is a distress signal in Connecticut. Didn't you tell him it was a distress signal to you, too? <laughs> that is significant, let me tell you. <laughs> You just sat there with egg on your face. You told him you had a wet handkerchief. <laughs> just keep your mouth shut. Remember, he he represents just by almost by definition the other side. 
You understand that, don't you? Oh, I'm sorry, Wolf. Hey, you know, I'll tell you about that same thing in, in relationship to the other side. If you got a couple of seconds, I won't run your bill up any more than I have to. Uh, a sad thing happened the other night. There were three Italian street singers who were not cadging alms, but who were singing beautifully and softly just off of Washington Square down in the village, lending a little bit of color to our otherwise profoundly colorless city. And people were really enjoying it. They were just singing, you know, and, and very, very well. I heard them. They were beautiful. When suddenly a cop came up, pinched all three of them, and marched them off. Mull that over. You were let off with a warning. No handkerchief waving on, on Saturday. <laughs> Good luck, man. Right on. Bye-bye. Oh, what a story. Did you hear that? A guy way out on Merritt Parkway waved his handkerchief in the air and got stopped by a cop. We are living in parlous times, let me tell you. Yeah, isn't that sad? Nobody can move anymore. Speaking of idiotic moments, did you read that little item in the paper about this councilman who shall go unnamed? I will not name it. This is for you, Ted. Listen to this. Yes, sir. Did you read that item in the paper about the councilman who, who, who has a car that's 21 feet long? I it's a gigantic, it's a gigantic thinned monster, see, 20, a 21 foot long car. So he drives around and he, he, he tries three different garages and three different garages turn him, turn him away. They say, no, we don't have enough room for that, that monster, that Zeppelin you're driving. Three different, yeah, this is 21 feet long 20. and 80, 80 inches wide. It's a fantastic giant. So he's driving around, and finally, after the third garage turns him away, which I thank heavens they did, he goes, he goes back to City Hall and passes a law immediately, making it illegal to turn away a car no matter what size it is. Do you realize some clown can now build a car the size of the Queen Mary, and they're going to have to... As a matter of fact, he should have gone back to the City Hall and passed a law against cars that size. These are the things that are causing the trouble. <laughs> You, you, you take three 20-foot cars and you got 60 feet of floor space already covered up. Do you realize how many 20-foot long automobiles it takes to make a fantastic traffic jam that runs from Yonkers all the way to Staten Island? About five, Councilman. You passed the wrong law. How would you like to get teed off and go back to the office and pass a law? I mean, what a, what a feeling of power. What a feeling of, of Fantastic, insane. Speaking of fantastic, insane power. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. And listen to the critics rave about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Hitchcock has done it again, the Daily News. A real chiller thriller, Journal American. A first-rate thriller, the Q Magazine. Keep your attention like a snake charmer, the Herald Tribune. Stand your hair on end, the New York Post. Remember, no one is admitted after the beginning of Psycho. It's at the DeMille and Baronet Theatres. See your newspaper for showtime. You're tuned to WOR AM and FM in New York. Here once again is Gene Shepard. Sun no code, sun no code. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. Sunoco, Sunoco. New Sunoco Blend 200X, a new gasoline. Gives you the ingredients of a high-priced premium, yet you pay only regular price. 
Many cars get extra power. Up to 13% more power after just two tank fulls. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. New Sunoco 200X gives extra mileage. Up to 19 more miles per tank full. 200X gives you premium ingredients at regular price. New Sunoco 200X gives you extra engine protection. Can mean longer life for your car. Yes, new Sunoco blend 200X gives you extra power, extra mileage, extra engine protection. 200X gives you premium ingredients. Two hundred X exceptional. <laughs> hey, I'll I'll tell you another thing. I'm gonna I've just got to test you as an American today. I just feel this terrible sense of that there are few genuine Americans left. I've got to test you as an American. I will award the brass figliggy with aluminum palm leaf because after all, this is this is much easier. This is not much of an Americana test at all. Listen to this. Can you identify this tune? Can you identify that tune? Now listen. Now don't don't look away. You identify that tune? Don't come around here and put your crummy old rotten hand in mine and tell me you're an American. <laughs> and if you can give me the first give me the first uh just the first sentence out of the out of the verse or the chorus, the opening lines there, you'll have it. I mean, you know, it's only in America can can a can a cemetery advertise itself this way. Uh Pine Lawn Memorial Park is designed for the living. <laughs> Visits to Pine Lawn are pleasant. Oh, which way do we go? How do we go? I mean, where, where? Tell me, tell me. Just lead me. Help, help. Speaking of help, if you're going to make the, uh, if you're going to make the village scene, listen, I have a, a real thing for you. The other night, I was down at the paper book gallery. And uh, I dropped in just to nose around. And whenever I do, uh, I don't know whether you're like me, but one of the terrible curses I have whenever I get into a place like the paper book gallery is that I, I rarely can get out without spending all the available change on me and a lot of change that is not available that I had earmarked for other things later in the week, like, say, rent. Uh, it's a funny thing. I'm standing out in front of the the paper book gallery last last week. Oh, maybe it was it was exactly one week ago, uh, Saturday night. This one week ago tonight, and it was about eleven o'clock at night, which is the time I always go down to the gallery, and, and incidentally, the time I will go down there again tonight because it's just a thing I, I I like to do. It's it's a kind of a cool, relaxing thing. And I'm standing out in front, and everybody is down in the pit there in front of the paper book gallery playing Skittles. Uh, you, you've heard the term beer and Skittles. Well, the paper book gallery is, well, it's the only place I know of. Obviously, it must be played in other places in New York, but it's the only place I know of where there is an outdoor Skittle game available for anybody who wants to play. 
And there's always about 50 guys standing around playing Skittles in front of the gallery. It's just a place to be, you know, and girls and elderly ladies. It was, it was great to see an old, old chick who must have been 74 years old whacking them off playing Skittles. The Skittles is largely a game of luck. In fact, almost completely a game of luck. And this old gal was having a run of luck. Uh, she had made 27 straight passes in Skittles. And here she was, 74 years old, probably having the peak day of her entire life. Little did she realize that it would happen at 74. And she's down there swinging, and 150 guys are cheering her on outside in front of the paper book gallery at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but, but it's this kind of place. But anyway, uh, I'm standing in front of the gallery, and a kid comes up to me, and he's a listener. And he's got, uh, he's got a big bag full of books. And he's got this chick with him, and they had just come over from Brooklyn. And she's got kind of a vaguely peeved look on her face. And he looks sheepish, vaguely apologetic. He says, hi, Shepard. I said, hi. And then the chick gives me a hard look. I said, what's bugging you, baby? And then the guy says to me, well, well every, every Saturday night we, we go on a date, and I... I, um, I I, I bring her over here before we go out. He said, we wind up spending two hours here, and, and, and I spent, well, I spent $6 here tonight, and, and all we got now is money for a hamburger and, and car fare back to Brooklyn, and we're not going to a show. And you can see the chick is teed off, and this kid's got a bag of Schopenhauer, Kierkegaard, <laughs> and a few others. And I, I, I we talked about it for, and I said, you know, you could, uh, I can think of, no better way to, to squander your money or to debauch yourself than to do it in the paper book gallery. I mean, I don't know how you can put a price on some of these things, but nevertheless, I was down in the gallery here last week, and I picked up a, a well, it's not a copy, really. It's a, it's a boxed set of four volumes of something that, for a couple of years now, I have been wanting to get, and I had no idea it was in paper book. Uh, have you have you heard of this fantastic series of volumes called The World of Mathematics? Of course, everyone's heard about it. Uh, they came boxed, uh, $25 a set. You know the thing that was a bestseller? There were 102,000. I was talking to Marty the other day about it. He said there were over 102,000 sets sold at $25 a set. And it has just come out in paper book boxed and makes a tremendous gift. Really, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, to me, this is one, one thing that I've wanted this thing for a long time, and I saw it on the shelves down at the paper book gallery, and I had no idea that they were that they were out in paper book, all in the neat little box, all four volumes, and complete. There's no nothing been cut and beautifully done, beautifully bound. And I said to Marty, I says, you, why didn't you know why 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 isn't this the talk out? He says, well, it hasn't been published yet. This is a pre-publication test of the world of mathematics in paper book. Now, this is the same thing that cost $25. And when it comes out as a regular publication, which will be in a couple of months, something like six to eight weeks, it will cost $3 more than they're charging for it now down in the paper book gallery. It was kind of a test to see whether people would buy it in paper book. And he said they sold over 100 sets in two days. They have just 75 sets. I called him last night about it. They have just 75 sets left. Plunk. And that's it until it comes out as a regular publication thing, it will cost more. But it is, a, it is a wonderful thing to have. 
And uh, if you're going down to the paper book gallery, you better pick it up fast. Because even if it's it, it, just to, to pick up a, a pre-season Christmas gift, this is it. It's the world of mathematics. And it's it's great reading, really. Uh, you don't have to, you know, it's one of those things you don't have to talk about. It's interesting. A guy spent, the man who did this, a man by the name of Newhall, uh, spent, oh, uh, Newman, right? That was, that's his name, Newman spent uh, something like 10 or 12 years putting this thing together as, as a scholarly work. He had no idea that it would turn out to be a bestseller. You know the story of it? They quietly put this thing on the market a couple of years ago, and it became a top nonfiction bestseller and, and established, well, it established publishing history. Nothing had ever happened like this before at 25 bucks a set. And, of course, now it's out in paper book, and there will be thousands more sold, but they'll all be sold at, at a higher price than they're selling it down in the gallery. It comes in a beautiful little box, all four volumes, and, and is really worth having. It is truly worth having. It's one of the, one of the things that you, can't, you just can't stop once you read because it. Because mathematics is, in many ways, a history of the human race. Well, all the abstractions that we have developed, whether they be theology, whether they be philosophy or mathematics, all these things which are part of the mind, the world of the mind of man, represent in the most profound way the true history of mankind. And I think this is the reason for the, the great fascination that this series of volumes has for people once they pick it up and start reading it. But this is the world of mathematics, and if you're going down to the, the gallery this weekend, be sure to look at them because they won't be there more than a couple of days. And by the way, there are two paper book galleries, one on Sheridan Square. Uh, this is the one I usually go down to with the, with the Skittles and all. It's on Sheridan Square, right across from Nick's, directly Catty Corner, or Kitty Corner, across from Nick's, over on the uh, west side of Sheridan Square. And uh, just where 10th Street hits 7th Avenue South, and they're open until 2 this morning. So if you're looking for a place to go after the theater... And it'll be, it'll be comparatively peaceful tonight because most of the New Yorkers are out of town. And you'll also find another paper book gallery over on 3rd Street. And uh, incidentally, that gallery is just two doors away from what I consider to be one of the really fine restaurants in New York, and that's Ying and Yang. Uh, I took a couple of Oriental food experts down there a couple of days ago, and both of them agreed that it's, it's one of the better Oriental restaurants in America. As a matter of fact, uh, Gourmet Magazine, uh, in a review a few months back, pointed this restaurant out as one of the five best Oriental restaurants in the United States. It's Ying and Yang, which is at 82 West 3rd Street, and they are open until 1 o'clock this morning, and it's almost impossible to find a good restaurant in New York open over the 4th of July weekend. Well, Ying and Yang is, they will open at noon tomorrow on Sunday, and they will be open until 10 or 11 o'clock Sunday night. They're open seven days a week. They open at noon, and they remain open usually till around 1 or 2 in the morning. They close an hour or so earlier on Sunday. Uh, this is Ying and Yang. Oh, hey, listen. Uh, it's at 82 West 3rd Street, and, and, and wear a coat when you go down there. And another thing, too, they have a good bar there. Hey, I, I was going to say something before I say anything else. Maybe some of you remember about two years ago, I took a trip to Lebanon with a movie company to make a movie about the Lebanese landings. 
that occurred in the Navy and so on, that it was uh, the whole situation of the Middle East, that if any of you are interested, does anyone have a TV guide with them? Uh, well, my little movie will be on television on NBC tomorrow around 5 or 5.30. Um, I, I'm not sure. If, if anybody has a TV guide, please look it up. Uh, the name of the movie is Summer Incident. Uh, I, I narrated the movie and was uh, instrumental in writing it, along with Louis de Rochemont. It's a Louis de Rochemont production, and I, I'm very proud of this little movie. So if you're interested, it is on tomorrow, on well, July 3rd, on NBC. Uh, it's called Summer Incident, and it's a half-hour film, and it is about the Navy in the Mediterranean, the Sixth Fleet. But that's neither here nor there. It's funny, not a single one. Hmm, good. Hmm, good. <laughs> While we're on the subject of the good, the good and the, the quick and the halt, well, you, you you can, you know, sometimes, and then you can't. I'm, I'm walking in, and I'm sitting down, and I'm eating the sandwich, and it was one of, those, one of those living days, you know, one of those existing moments. And, and I, I must finish the story because it, it has some bearing on the now. I'm sitting there, and my mother is looking out over the, over the yards and over the world, over the eternal alleys and the eternal garages of all man's existence, and just standing there looking off into the twilight. And uh, I'm sitting there knocking down my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and my fielder's mitt is at my feet, when all of a sudden my mother turns kind of halfway, you see, and looks over into a dark corner back of the stove, and she says, I'm getting to be an awful rubberneck. I said, what, Ma? She said, I'm getting to be an awful rubberneck. I said, what do you mean, Ma? She said, I just stand here and... I'm just getting to be a rubberneck, that's all. And I had no answer. And she turned down the hot water and went back to the pots and began to work that old Brillo pad. And, and I remember the term. I remember my mother said she was a rubberneck. She was an observer of life. And... and she, she just was a looker, a looker. She's looking out over that window, she said, I'm getting to be an awful rubberneck. And, and I, I, I am beginning to come uh, around to the conclusion that I come by my rubberneck proclivities honestly. I am a rubberneck. I am a looker. Is there, is there anybody out there, Jim, did they use that expression here in the East, a rubberneck? You mean this is an everywhere expression? Oh, come on now. A rubberneck? That's a beautiful expression. I mean, I can't think of a more descriptive expression to describe the act of just looking. Rubberneck. You realize what that means? Rubberneck. His old neck is just going around. His rubber, he's just bouncing around and looking. A rubberneck. It's too bad they didn't use it here in the East. Maybe too bad, in a way. But, but if, if, you, if you let go of those paddles, you know, sometimes it's going to... It's going to it's going to lash back at you, like today. I'm sitting in a bus. Now, I don't know whether you're a bus fan, but I love to ride buses. I, <laughs> yeah, they used to have rubberneck buses. I wish we had double deck buses here now in New York. I remember one time when I was I was the very first time I was in New York. The very very first time I was a kid. I was just a kid. And, of course, one of the things that everybody heard about out in the Midwest 
was the double-deck buses that they had in New York. The double-deck buses. And, yeah, the, I, I still say, I still say that we have lost a great deal of color. We have lost a great deal of the joy of living by, I don't know what it is we've done. And I'm, really, this is not a program devoted to nostalgia. And I am not an old man sitting around saying, wasn't it great? No, I don't say that. But I say that we, we forget about things sometimes that, that, are, that are good. We have lost good things. We, of course, have invented others that are good, too. We have, we've, there's no time, really, that's better than any time. But some of the, better than other times, I should have said. But some of these things I would like to see kept a little bit. Like, for example, a bus that has the top down, you know, the, uh, the, the rubberneck bus. And I'm a kid, and I remember riding along, riding up Fifth Avenue, with my old man sitting on one side, my mother in the seat behind me, and sitting next to her as my brother and, and this son. And we're riding up Fifth Avenue. I could imagine nothing more pleasant than that. It would make the most gigantic traffic jam fun, believe me. Do you know that in Cincinnati, just a few years ago when I was in Cincinnati, this was in 1952 and 53, I don't know whether they still have it or not, but they have streetcars in Cincinnati, real streetcars that run on tracks. Uh, you know, the real kind. <laughs> this kind of streetcar, you know. And they've got that big aerial that sticks up there and it runs on that electric wire and at night it makes sparks and when it's, when it's wet and when there's, when there's ice on it, it makes great big long blue arc. <laughs> and when it stops, you know the sound of a streetcar when it stops? And you sit there and the guy has turned the switch off, you know, he's moved the great big old lever over to one side and the streetcar's waiting for a light and you're just sitting and all of a sudden it goes underneath your feet, you know that feeling? And then it stops, the compressors are, are putting compression into the air brake chambers. Well, well, in Cincinnati, they had, as recent, I don't know whether they still have it or not. It's not an old-time thing, so I don't think I'm a horse-grown type. Just uh, a couple of years ago when I was there, every summer they would bring out three or four streetcars that were completely convertible, that did not have a top at all, just great big open tubs with wicker seats, and you would get on the streetcar. It's a regular streetcar, you know. You would get on the streetcar, you would pay your 10 cents or 15 cents or whatever it was, and ride all over town on the open streetcar. And they used to call them promenade streetcars. And you'd just get in and you'd, you'd ride, you know. And, and, the, and the, the sun comes down and the breeze blows across you and the big traffic jam, it doesn't make any difference. You just sit there. People would sit there and they'd, they'd smoke their cigars and they'd look out at the crowds. And it's, it's just like the old... The, the rubberneck buses were also operating in Chicago on, uh, on, Ma on uh, Mission Boulevard. But they were never as, uh, it seemed that, the, that they were really associated with New York, those big green rubberneck buses. And, <laughs> and I remembered vividly, just completely. And, and it, it's sad to note, but then I'm sitting in a bus. I love riding buses. I must admit it. I, I, I'll take a bus over a cab a thousand times. I just like being in the bus. I like the feeling of of kind of freedom and everything there is in a bus. Strangely enough, I get a sense of freedom in a bus. And uh, there's no meter ticking. There's no... Yeah, it's the whole thing. So I'm sitting in the bus just today. And uh, the bus driver is kind of sitting there hunched over his wheel. And there were only two or three people on the bus. And we got to about, oh, I don't know, 48th Street, something like that. 
on 6th Avenue, 7th Avenue, 7th Avenue, got to about 48th Street, when, when a woman got on, and she says, Ah, sure, and what a pleasure it is to see ye. What a pleasure it is to see ye. <laughs> and she just got on. She, she walks up to the bus driver. She says, Ah, sure, and what a pleasure it is to see ye. And, and the bus driver suddenly beamed all over the place. And he says, Ah, sure, and it's a pleasure to see ye. And he, uh, he, he sat there beaming, and a couple of people laughed in the bus. And this woman, who must have been about 60, obviously her name was Bridget or Sheila or something like that, dropped in her, her, her 15 pence and moved and then sat back in the bus and just sort of settled in, you know, and looked out of the window and the sun was coming out. Ah, sure, and it's a pleasure to see you. <laughs> and I thought, by George, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing, you'd never see this in a cab, you would never see it in a, in a, in a subway. You'd hardly ever see it anywhere else. And every place I go, whenever I travel, when I go to Europe, when I go to, even when I went to, to Beirut, every place I go, I try like mad to get on the public transportation, particularly the buses. There is nothing like a Roman streetcar, believe me. Uh, <laughs> nothing at all like it. Uh, and and the, the way people act in buses and streetcars is very much an indication of their character. Americans are isolated in buses. Often, they sit quietly. They 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 don't want to catch each other's eye. They stare straight ahead, and there is a general a uh, kind of a general sense of don't touch me, don't don't touch me now, uh, 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 don't you touch me. These are Americans. Americans are the least mixing of peoples that I know. In spite of all their togetherness and all their hoped up friendliness, they just don't. They they distrust one another. And they sit and they, they keep their eyes from, from meeting. And whenever anybody says something out of the way to somebody else, like, uh, gee, uh, what a great day, they think you're, you're up to something. You know? you're, you're, you're getting ready to, to do something to them. And they kind of look sidelong out of you, out of their eyes at you. And so this is an American in a bus. He's generally a, a very controlled, uh, self-involved individual who will not look at one another. Just, they just can keep their eyes away. On the other hand, the Germans are an interesting crowd in a bus. You get in a German bus, and uh, the Germans are, are, are vaguely affable in a bus, strangely enough. They are very much together in a bus, and they sit, and their, their, their streetcars, particularly in a town like Munich or Frankfurt, are beautiful, just absolutely spick and span, cleaning. Nobody drops any papers on the floor in a German or a Swiss streetcar. They're, 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 they're beautiful, just shiny and all wood and glass and lovely. And they sit there very quietly. And once in a while, the, uh, the conductor will say, And they, they all leap up and they move quietly back and forth. It's as though if, if he suddenly were to shout, All out now! All out. Every one of you out now! They would all, without question, get out and just leave. Uh, there is a sense of order in their buses that, uh, in a way, is kind of frightening. But on the other hand, you get into a Roman bus, and there is a constant feeling that you are in the middle of an incipient riot. I mean, it is just about to begin, or you are in the middle of a crowd that has just had a riot, one or the other. Little fat ladies constantly using their elbows, and, and every little fat lady in, in Italy wears black. They all wear black because somehow, almost by definition, little fat ladies and little thin stringy ladies are widows in, in, in Italy. And they all wear black and they all have 
elbows that have been sharpened to a fine point, and they know how to use them. Stringy, muscular shoulders, and they edge their way back and forth on the buses. They'll come right up to you, pow! They'll give it to you right in the right in the kidney, pow! Like that. And then you look at her, and she looks at you, and her big brown liquid eyes are just bubbling over. She's, there's no anger in it, you know. It's just the way it's done. You're supposed to do the same thing. And 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 there's just a constant moiling mass of people, all all jammed in together. Guys carrying a, I, I'm sitting in a Roman bus here the last trip, and it was a guy two seats ahead of me carrying a gigantic stalk of bananas. Right behind him there was a guy with a great big bird cage with two big parrots in the cage. And the whole moiling mass, once in a while a parrot goes, and the guy with the bananas pulls a banana off and quietly eats it and throws the peeling out on the street. <laughs> By Georgia, I'm right home here. I'm, I'm right where the people are living. And there's a real, a genuine sense of the life of all of it. And I had an instantaneous feeling of that this morning when I'm on the bus and that, that Irish lady got in. She says, Ah, sure, what a pleasure it is to see ye. Ah, what a pleasure it is to see ye. <laughs> and the bus driver sort of perked up. He didn't expect this, you know because there's a constant warfare that goes on between people who serve people in New York and people who are served. And it's a, believe me, there are no quarters given, no holes barred. And this bus driver sort of sat up like that. And for the whole trip, all the way down here to 40th Street, there was this, there was this sense. He stopped at 42nd Street. I don't know, I've never seen this happen in a bus. It was a sort of a holiday air that immediately started when this old gal made her opening gambit. Ah, what a pleasure it is to see ye. Uh, he stopped at 42nd Street, and this is right in the heart of where, where the fist fights begin with bus drivers and, and people. And some you know, there's always some clown who stands outside the bus with rimless glasses and begins to ask questions. Uh, how far downtown does this bus go? And he says, well, we go down to 3rd Street and Broadway. Well, is that past uh, Houston Street? Is that right, Mabel? Houston Street? Is that past Houston Street? And the bus driver says, well, now, there's, you, you, there's two short blocks. Uh, you can walk two short blocks. There's a cross-town bus. Well, I, I thought it was a number six that went down there. Well, yes, that's right, but I'm a number so-and-so, and I go to another. And this long, involved explanation, well, usually bus drivers say, all right, Mac, boom, bang goes the door, and away he goes. Well, this bus driver quietly put his foot out in the aisle and sat there, and, and we talked it over. And two or three passengers got in the act. And one of them says, well, look, you know, it's only a block and a half. And the next thing I knew, the two people got on the bus and just quietly sat there and we went our way. Ah, sure, and it's a pleasure to see. <laughs> so don't give up, I mean, you know. And then on the other hand, did you see the little item? The little item that says, a woman passenger became so incensed yesterday when a Lexington Avenue bus failed to stop at the corner where she wanted to get off that she whipped off one of her shoes and hit the hit the bus driver with it twice, smartly, with a beautiful wrist action. <laughs> you know that that old 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 lady angry sound that that turkey sound. It's a kind of it's a kind of barnyard sound. That I, I have a feeling that as we get older, we get more and more closer and, and more involved with the real barnyard inner that is us. That, that women, when they get older, they become more and more like chickens and turkeys. Men, when they get older, they become more and more like hogs in their own way. 
and, and you know, a, a kind of lumbering way, and, and until finally, as man reaches a certain stage in his life, he is indistinguishable, indistinguishable from the denizens of the corral. Just sort of mills around. <laughs> and the whole mixture, kind of a great malign. Sure, tis a pleasure to see ye. Tis a pleasure to see ye. Mm, good. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. A man with drive. A man with drive. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.